You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is David. I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Hello, hello, hello. How are we doing this week, gentlemen? Not too bad. I'm off this week, and I'm painting this week, so it's an excellent combination. I'm not at all jealous. I mean, uh, I'm still working, but I'm also painting this week. Uh, flipping it, Jay, you you have been doing some serious. Your hobby update this week is is jam packed, based on our uh, private WhatsApp conversations uh, and the images you've been sharing. Um, in fact, I think we've all been fairly busy with the old painting front, but um. But yeah, Jay well, especially. You know, Matt, the, the, busy. the war master's on his way. I got to get ready. Absolutely, you got to make sure those uh, those defenses are up. The, the war master's already knocking uh, so, the door. It's too late to get the defenses up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on this week's show, we're going to be delving into the realm of Gur because the season of War Thundier expansion pack is upon us. And Matt has done us the honours of writing up a lovely review and doing a lovely run-through video, haven't you, Matt? Um, mm. So you're going to be introducing us to Fondia and some of its glorious content this week. Absolutely. In particular, the Path to Glory stuff, because that super excites us. Yeah. Um, we will be talking about the other release, which uh, is currently on pre-order. That's the Tyranids next week. Um, we know there's a lot of coverage of Tyranids out there. Um, so we thought we'd we'd cover Thunder first. That's not to say I might not mention a little bit about the Tyranids during the hobby updates, um, but I'll be talking about them a little bit more length next week. Uh, so what else we got on the show? We have got a brand new top three, which I don't think we've ever done before, actually. Uh, we've done a lot of top three, so it does, does get harder, I guess, every week, Matt, to find one that we've not done before. Top um, three, but you managed to find one. And we've done it, I think, haven't we? <laughs> Oh, have we not? No, maybe we haven't. <laughs> um, so Matt wanted to know our top three non-human species or creatures in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. He potentially was just a little bit inspired by all the squats from last week. So maybe we'll, we'll, we'll hear them mentioned again later on the show. Who knows? Uh, and if it isn't uh, in our, one of our top threes, we have, of course, um, got the community top threes, which we'll be sort of finishing off the show with. Uh, and also, we shouldn't forget that we also have quite a bit in news, including some big news from today, some big, tasty reveals. So uh, looking forward to chatting about that. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby this week. So I think we've already alluded to you, Jay. So why not start there? What have you been up to in the hobby? I have been painting in the 31st millennium. So Operation Get 3000 Points from Imperial Fists continues um i can't remember where i was up to last time we spoke but the breacher squad are now finished um i've got all the shields painted all the shields attached all the weathering done transfers attack uh, um um stuck on uh, really happy with how they've turned out uh, so that's one troops unit down um whilst i've been painting them i have been sort of doing little details on a five-man squad of terminators as well uh, so the, the idea being that, that these terminators, while I'm waiting for coats to dry and, and things like that before I'm moving on to different stages, I can just do a bit more work on the terminator. So they will sort of 
aim to complete them once all the other inventory is completed at the sort of same time, so I don't have to, you know, paint them as one unit. Um, this week I've started working on the uh, Phalanx Warders, which are like an Imperial Fists um, sort of special unit. They're like Breacher squads. So Breachers are like tactical Marines with big boarding shields. They fire their mm-hmm. bolters through. Uh, the Phalanx Warders are Imperial Fist Breachers, basically, and they're um, tasked with defending the Phalanx, which is the big Imperial Fist um, sort of battle station, you know, one of the biggest um, void-faring craft in the Imperium. Um, so they've got these massive kite shields with the Imperial Fist insignia on them. They also wear, it's a bit strange, really. So obviously the Breachers are wearing Mark III iron. For those that don't know, Mark III iron armor, uh, which is a different type of power armor, more chunky of these layered plates. They look really tanky, really slow stomping robots, quite retro look to them, really. The Phalanx Warders, they're wearing Mark IV armor, which is a bit sleeker, a bit lighter, which is a bit strange considering these guys are sort of elite Breachers. Um, mm. But it's nice. It's nice to paint a mix of armor, I think, in a Horus Heresy army, uh, all mm. the different sort of um, styles. And of course, we've had the um, the new Beaky Mark V or Mark VI armor. Mark it's Mark V. Yeah. Mark VI, is it? Uh, previewed as well this week. So uh, hopefully I'll have a few of those in uh, at some point. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm just on the um, I'm on the highlighting stage at the moment. So the the bright yellow highlight on the edge of the panels and then I'll um, glaze it with some Lamentor's yellow glaze. And that's the Imperial Fist sort of yellow armor done. Then it's it's onto the details. Um, but I'm hoping to have this squad of 10 done in the next day or two um, and then onto the next squad. Um, but I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist building the Primarch. So I've made a start mm-hmm. on building Rogal Dawn himself. Um, he will be painted at the end. I'm going to leave him, him and Sigismund to the end, so I can uh, spend a bit of time on both those characters. Um, treat but, to finish off the army as well. Then, yeah, exactly. Yeah, something to aim for. So, um, so yeah. So he, he he's a nice model, but he was sitting in the box. I couldn't resist putting him together. Yeah. Um, so he's 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 built as far as he's going to be he's, built. He's got Sorry. to be able to oversee what you're doing, Jay. Well, this is it. He's on the shelf next to me. He's got no head at the moment, Dave. Oh. No hands or weapon. Oh. Um, but but you know, never mind that. <laughs> I can't attach them yet because I have to. Obviously, most of his armor is going to be sprayed gold, I think, and built up from gold. I've left the sword off and the hands off because they sort of cover up the front of his his um yeah it, it, like the model, so it's a bit hard to get behind it. Um, and obviously the head isn't going to be sprayed gold. I'll paint that paint that separately, and then the cloak mm. at the back as well is going to be uh, red color probably. But I'm really enjoying painting them. They're really really cool, and I'm actually I'm feeling that sort of good about painting them and that sort of um positive about it all at the moment that I think. I should get these free cave imperial fists done in plenty of time for the new edition of Horus Heresy, and I might even make um, a bit more of a, a go into the Blood Angels as well and see if I, how close I can get those to free cave before the uh, edition launches. That's pretty exciting. Hey, have you got much to add to your uh, custodians as well? Because you've got a fair custodians force as well. I have got um, a big custodian force. Um, I've got a lot of the Forge World stuff actually, like the um, Contemptor Dreadnoughts, the Telemon Dreadnought. I've got the um, Corona um, Transport, which is a really, really cool. Um, I remember seeing that at one of the open days and fell in love with that vehicle. Um, but I think I'd probably have to add some of the Forge World infantry, like the um, Aquilin Terminators um, and perhaps the um, Sagittarium Guard as well to, to take them to 3K. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of the regular Custodian Guard troops. I've got um, Constantin Valdor as well. But then I have also got the... Um, the 40k jet bikes and the 40k Alaris Terminators, which I'd probably have to swap out for the 30k equivalent. But then custodians are very, very expensive in 30k, so I'm probably not too far off two and a half thousand points as it is. <laughs> mm. 
Absolutely. And oh, one last thing. Really yeah, I will. I'm really enjoying I can't wait to play some games. I can't wait to, to for the Horace Hosey Open Day in May so we can get a glimpse at the new stuff, the new rules potentially, um, and then start playing some games. I'm thinking, you know, that probably probably very, very, very soon have a thousand points. Um, maybe enough there for a game of Zone Mortalis so we can start playing some yeah. games. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll bust out the Zone Mortalis and uh, send in maybe, maybe Abaddon will lead some uh, Terminators in via Termite and go through the tunnels underneath the Imperial Palace. Yeah, it'd be very cool. Very cool. Um, one other thing I have been doing this week is we're off to Warhammer World on Thursday. So um, I have um, cracked open my Age of Sigmar rulebook and Lumineth Battletone for the first time in a long time um, to, to put together some lists. So I've got my, my normal list that I took to the last tournament, which did quite well, actually. I went 4-1 at the last tournament with that list. Mm. The Alarith Stoneguard and Avelinor were quite a tough nut to crack, but they sort of lacked mobility. Well, I've been having to play around with some lists um, over the last couple of days and maybe swapping out Avelinor for Sephirith, the Wind Spirit, for a bit of mobility. Um, nothing too drastic, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're, we're there all day on Thursday, so I might take one or two variations of this list and give it a try. Well, I'm going to make a couple of this too. It, it's, we're doing the team event at Warhammer World. It's an interesting one because you can't duplicate detachments, uh, battalions, sorry, or artifacts across the entire team. Which means that you're not going to have the situation where you're necessarily playing a one-drop army all the time because only one person in the team at most can have it. So I think that'll make things quite interesting. See a bit of variety in this that we see. Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to see four times arcane tomes or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. But it'd be good to dust off the cobwebs and remember how to play Age Sigmar again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, like you. I'll, I'll i'll go i'll go next so uh, i've also bust, uh, busted open uh, my sigma battle team i've been playing around with some lists i think i'm pretty much set on the list i'm going to take i may potentially take a couple of extra units just in case you know we get towards the end of the day and i get time to maybe have another trial game um with a slightly different list but i think i'm set on what i'm going to do um i'm going to try and bring two war chances along i'm going to be playing the class I'm playing Iron Jaws. I want to um, use the clan that allows me to dish out the plus one damage buff to three units instead of one with a War Chanter. So I really want to take a second one. So I've got redundancy. And it also means that in turn one, I can give it to everybody. (laughs) So like my entire army is going to be plus one damage, which is pretty sweet. Um, And I'm also really Kragnos as well, because, you know, he's ace. So I've been talking to you guys about what... what, um, you're planning on taking uh, Battalion Wiseman. I think, I hope, I've uh, landed the Warlord one. Um, I don't st- appear to have heard any competition yet, so um, hopefully I've bagged myself that that one. Um, and maybe I've bagged myself the Arcane Tome as well. Um, on the back of that, though, I needed to get another box of Brutes built. Um, so I've started doing that. I built these guys with Jagged Gore Hackers for a bit of variety, because my uh, one and only other unit are armed with a pair of axes. Um, and I would like to get another box at some point as well and build them as jagged gore hackers and a big unit of 10. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, plus, it gives me even more list variation then as well. Uh, but that's for some point in the future. Um, so, yeah, I, I need to at least get them fully built for Thursday, if not commence painting um, by then. Uh, although I have got something else that I need to paint this week first. Um, what I have been painting, though, what I did complete painting... Um, before Saturday was the Parasite 
of Mortrex. So this was the brand new unit added to the Tyranids. Thanks to Games Workshop, we were sent the book and this particular model to enjoy. And um, yeah, he was he was fun. Um, he, he was a, he's a he's a bit smaller than I anticipated. Well, I mean, in 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 his first incarnation, he was always warrior size or shrike size, so basically winged Tyranid warriors. I think yeah. in a lot of the artwork that they've used, he's kind of like twice as big as a Tyranid warrior, which yeah. may have thrown people a little bit. Yeah, he's definitely warrior size, but with wings. He's a nice model. I, I struggled a little bit on the veins on his wings because of his scale, but I think that says more about my painting rather than a problem with the model itself. Um, but it was good to paint a Tyranid because it's been a, a long time. I, I was thinking actually, of all the armies I have that are painted, my Tyranids are probably up there with my oldest. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, um, so I've got a bit of a mixed Tyranid force. I've got some that I originally painted, which I look at now and think, oh my goodness, I could do a bit of a touch up. To more recently painted models that I added, such as the Tyranifex, now the Parasite, um, and it. I mean. We're going to talk, I'm going to talk about the Tyranny book more next week, but I'm going to mention it a little bit now. So the Tyranny book is a lot of fun. Um, I think Tyranny players are going to have a ball with this book. There's so many like upgrades and options and on the fly things you can do. Uh, you know, you, the Synapse stuff is just so good now. You can take, for example, if you've got, say, a zone, a unit of zone tropes, uh, wanting to cast a, um, cast a psychic power from the high mind discipline, they don't just have to pick a unit within range of themselves. Using the synaptic link, which is where you uh, kind of your bubbles of synapse meet, you can use a different synapse creature within that link to have the psychic power come from. So suddenly, like if you've positioned your synapse creatures well, you could be casting a hive mind power on the other side of the board for example skin coracles from your zone folks yeah it's it's so cool um it's it's a really really good book and i'll tell you what jay you did you very nearly had tyranids joining you <laughs> with K-Dubbles, um with your eldar uh, it, it was a very close run thing because it's such a fun book and um, fun things you can do with secondaries uh, I sound like I'm still tempted. Maybe I still am. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very good book. I can't wait to talk about it. I will have a link in the the podcast notes so you can check out the review and the video whenever you want. Um, hopefully after you've listened to the show uh, to to you know make your own impression really. But, but um, yeah, a very very fun book. Um, so yeah, that's me really. Um, I have uh, also I think finished uh, the solar war now and i've started on the second book of the series uh well i've not quite picked that up yet i've, I've only finished it last night so um i'll be starting that tonight and i still, still can't remember what it's called uh i know it's something in the wall uh not bring on the wall um the last can't, wall yeah, I, believe. Can't, can't, I think what it's called the last wall i think yeah um so that's really been it for the hobby for me this week um who should we go to next let's go to matt next what have you been up to matt so after the, 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 the thrilling conclusion of the Bliss Barb Archers, I had to crack on with the army because it's like a week on Saturday that we're at Warhammer World. So I'd booked off this week in advance thinking this is the week I'm going to get my Slanesh stuff done. So since the last podcast, I have built Glutos. He was in subassemblies. Those subassemblies were sprayed in a variety of different colours to act as the bases for uh, the painting work. And then, yes, this morning... 
clocked on at 10, started doing the metallics, <laughs> managed to do that by lunchtime, had a break for lunch. Uh, and then since then, I've got the skin of all the various fleshy things based, washed. I have painted a couple of coats of the marble base. That just needs another coat to be finished off. Um, and then, yeah, really from there, I can start doing all the kind of the detailing and add the cloth and stuff. So certainly by tomorrow, Glutos should be finished. I mean, I've been painting for about seven hours today and I'm going to do some, a couple of hours after the podcast. Uh, and then Sigvald's been some bits and bobs on him. I have started his hair. I'm not super happy with the hair at the minute, but I'm going to I'm going to go with it. So I painted that wraith bone. I have gone at it with Elandian yellow. Is it the contrast? Yes, something like that. Yeah, uh, it's a bit yellow. It's a bit yellow. So what I'm going to do is go in with um, Shabti bone, I think, and, and highlight each individual hair in that, and then give them a, a wraith bone highlight. So it should be a more kind of white blonde with a bit of a yellow kind of recess look to it. Obviously, take a while painting all them strands of hair, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, it's Sigvald, so he needs to look magnificent, doesn't he? Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's really my painting progress today. I've got five Bliss Bar Archers to do, but if I can get these guys done by tomorrow, I can make a start on them Wednesday. Obviously, we're playing some practice games Thursday, and then we've got the whole bank holiday weekend as well. So I've got quite a lot of painting time to get them done. So fairly confident I'll have them finished, and hopefully... We will revel in excess at the event. I need to get, guys, some um, depravity tokens. Now, I've, as Glutos <laughs> is leading my army, I'm thinking like a tub of like chocolates or something. And then I can put yeah. a wrapped chocolate by each unit and then have a nice pile to gorge myself on when I spend <laughs> units. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. So that I sounds might awesome. Do that, I might do that. Yeah, I like that. If I had time, if I had time, Excellent. maybe in like a velvet lined box as well. Oh, nice. That'd be ace. Yeah, that'd be really, really cool. Um, I always seem to pick on you and have you quite early on in the, the hobby updates, Andy, but I've gone and left you till last this week. Um, so what have you been up to in the hobby? Um, so this week I've I managed to get the Chaos Knight um, that I've been building um, primed, and that's in sub-assemblies waiting to get painted. Um which I've I've only painted one Imperial Knight previously in the past, and that was quite easy. And once you've done sort of the the meta exoskeleton of the the actual suit, after that the only time-consuming part is really the armor panels. So I'm, I'm hoping to get that sort of the, the armor panels done this week, and then it's just a case of finishing off like the trim and with chaos notes obviously there's a lot of additional details and stuff like that so hopefully i'm going to try and get the, the chaos night done over the next week or so um i mean obviously like you guys said we're going to the team event at the end of april on the 23rd and 24th uh 24th might be my birthday so you know just saying <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but thankfully, I haven't got anything to paint for that because I'm going to be taking my Giants. Um, mm. And then two days after that, I've got the Hobby Room event up at Element Games, which I'm I'm very tempted to take my Giants to. But then at the same time, I'm very tempted to take my Ogres to as well. Ogres, eh? Yeah, tempted to take my Ogres um, because I've been building a Husguard on Thundertusk, and I've got um, a box of Mournfang. Well, I've got the Start Collecting box, and I've built the Husguard on Thundertusk this week. 
and I've got the Mournfang. I, I don't know if I'll, I'll want to build the Mournfang yet, but um, as part of one of my hobby resolutions to paint a start collecting box, at some point I'm going to have to build and paint the Mournfang. Um, but yeah, so I've painted, uh, built the Huskar and Funtusk. Um, I'm just waiting to get him primed. Um, and then the only other thing I've been doing this week is I've almost finished building my first Mark III tactical squad. Oh, nice. So, yeah, but I mean, at the minute, they they haven't got any arms on, so they're a bit armless. They're armless. Mm. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll get them built over the next day or two, get them primed as well. And I quite fancy doing it because I'm going to be painting them like Iron Warriors. Um, so I'm quite tempted just to do them as a bit of a like a palette cleanser. Um, try and do a bit of work on the Chaos Knight, paint up the Iron Warriors, and then go back to the Chaos Knight. Now, whether or not that will happen, whether, you know, I'll start painting the Chaos Knight and it would be too much and I jump into the Husguard or, you know, what have you. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But I'm kind of working on three units at once rather than one and i kind of feel like i should just be working on one um but yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens next week so yeah that's what i've been working on anyway excellent yeah we've all been all been quite busy as i, I predicted right uh we have got plenty to get through this week so we're going to take a slight pause and we'll be back with all of this week's news So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, we've got a, a pre-order that I think you might be a fan of, Dave. Blood Bowl Norse is on the way. And I've got to say, they look pretty cool. I wasn't I wasn't immediately uh, grabbed by these when I saw them at um, Adepticon. But um, having a closer look at some of the images, they are really, really nice models. And it looks like you get a load of positionals as well. Um, yeah, quite a quite a chunky box by the look of things. Now it weighs in at thirty one pound fifty. Obviously, for uh, Blood Bowl stuff went up significantly recently, but I'd say this is a, a jam packed box. So it looks like there's there's more models than you'd ever need in a team here. Meaning that you could do quite a few different builds of lists without needing any other kind of bits with it, which is pretty cool. Mm. And also, one they normally have a normal ball and an alternate kind of like team specific ball. Well, there's a Mjolnir ball, and that is very cool. So, uh, yeah, I might have to get a box of these just for that. So they look cool. Uh, there's cards alongside these at £17.50. There are dice at £12.50. There's a pitch and dugout set, which looks really cool, with a, with a frosty northern vibe to it. That's £30. And then Spike, exclamation point, magazine, issue 14 is out. That is £10. You don't need this to play because you do get the full rules in the boxes. But I think Spike Magazine is really, really fun. If you haven't seen one, it's kind of like a in-universe fanzine for the team. It's hard to explain, but it makes sense when you read it. It's it's very jokey and, and yeah, it's it's really fun. So, yeah, but that's not it for the Blood Bowl because it looks like their entire roster of star players is also coming out from Forge World on Saturday as well at the same time. So, first of all, we've got the Yeti. He's one of the positionals for them. Um, again, I'm surprised this all came so soon after because normally in the past there've been kind of like random releases of star players all over the shop where it looks like they've released everything in one go. Now there's the, 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 the standard Yeti and he's pretty cool because Yetis are pretty cool. 
but he's not the coolest Yeti I've ever seen. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that award goes to Scrog Snowpelt, who looks to be a bit of a, a Yeti celeb with a magnificent moustache and beard. Yeah. He looks amazing, doesn't he? He's, he's so cool. He's got a scarf. He's, he's kind of doing a pose for the crowd. He is an absolute superstar. And I'm going to have to paint one of these up because he looks amazing. Uh, he is he, he's kind of backed up by Thor's and Stoutmead, who is a very drunk guy throwing barrels at people. He seems cool. And then there's Ivar Eriksson, who is, I guess, a classic star player. He looks a bit like Hulk Hogan, if I'm honest. Mm. Uh, he looks really cool. Mm. Now, it's not just Norse players who can use those, Dave. Oh, no, 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 no. If you have a dwarf, halfling, human, imperial nobility, or ogre team, you can use those star players with your, your team as well. So, yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, you, you could take that superstar Yeti with your ogres, Dave, if you so wished. Ah, oh, well, I, I might just have to do that, Matt. <laughs> so, yeah, some really, really cool stuff uh, coming from, from, from Forge World and, and Games Workshop proper on Saturday. But that's not the only Blood Bowl news we've had today, because there's a model greater than all of those combined that has been shown off on Warhammer Community today. And that is a halfling riding a, a ram i guess uh, he he is called uh, rumble low sheepskin and he is riding a very angry looking sheep i guess uh, and he's got a fork and he just looks magnificent the, the words words cannot describe how amazing this model is as soon as i saw this i was like how has matt not spoken about this on whatsapp this is this is right up his street I was, I was busy painting, Dave. I was busy painting, Dave. It wasn't until I got to writing the news that I saw this magnificent beast in all his glory. <laughs> now, um, unfortunately, he's not available to quite so many teams, just the Halfling Thimble Cup, the Old World Classic, or the World Edge Super League. But let's be honest, if, you, if, you're, if you're a pro Blood Bowl player, you roll the Halflings and you have this guy and, and ram into people. That's, that's ram into rules. people. Exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Well, moving moving from the uh, the gridiron to the 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 grim nastiness of Necromander, and in particular the ash waste around the uh, the spires, we finally finally seen the, the 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 vehicle we've all been wanting to see, the Cargo Eight Ridge Hauler. Now, looking like it's come from the same um, vehicle manufacturum that perhaps created the Ridge Runner. I sent a bit of a a bloodline there in these vehicles. This is a big old haulage vehicle for moving uh, monitorium containers from, from one side of the plant to the other. You know, lots of stuff is produced on Necromunda and it needs to get from A to B. Unfortunately, normally midway between point A and point B is a gang who then takes down the vehicle, steals all the stuff and sells it on the black market. So <laughs> what tends to happen is that the, the Guild of Coin will um, control this quite quite strongly. These are obviously expensive vehicles and there's expensive goods on side. So they have their own uh, troops and drivers and stuff that can be hired by Necromundian gangs in order to transport goods. And it looks like with the new uh, Ridge Hauler model, you get... Uh, we, we've talked about this on the podcast a while ago, would there be gang-specific like drivers and gunners and stuff? But it's quite a genius idea saying that, well... The Guild of Coin manage all that. You can hire it and they can carry your stuff, but your guys aren't necessarily going to know how to drive a HGV. So that's a nice way of making this usable by any gang in the game. And I'm sure you could, you know, convert, convert it up it. again. Yeah. You could put a yeah, You've got a lot. A lot of people have some spare bodies. So you could have a guy kind of like sat up on the 
on the cab or by the side, kind of guarding the, the container. What's really cool about this is that you can have up to four of them strung together and the monitorium containers could just be a container holding some goods or they can have gunners on there. There's all sorts of bits and bobs that you can do with it and create your own custom train, apparently. So, mm. yeah, this looks really, really good. I can see the uh, Ash Waste book having some very specific scenarios where one gang is trying to kind of do a great train robbery, basically, and take down the thing. The article does say that they're quite tough and you're probably going to need a Lascan or something to crack it open. Um, the Ash Wasters can't use them, but they can, um, well, they can't hire them, but they can potentially, you know, take them down and, and get all the juicy stuff that's within them. So what do we all think of this thing? I mean, this was the big, I guess, the big centerpiece vehicle release for the um, for the release. What, what, what do we think of it? Love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love this. I can't wait to pick one up for my old locks. Yeah, I'm I'm with Dave on this one. I I kind of looked at it and like Ash Race when we, when it was shown off at Adepticon, I looked at it and thought to myself, yeah, it's cool. Like it 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 really is nice, but it, I've got so much stuff on my painting desk that is will take priority. But when they showed this off today, I would happily buy this and and just stop what I'm doing and and just work on this. It's very I don't want to say Mad Max, but it's is very it's, it's, cool. It's, it's it's absolutely Mad Max, Andy. I think that's fine to say. <laughs> uh, uh, I do wonder. I do wonder if 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 we'll see Ridge Runners and the like for uh, Necromunder as well. Ridge Runners and the quad bikes and the um, the Gene Steel bikes would definitely fit in this sort of setting. Because the the clearly the, the the this vehicle's made from the same manufacturer. It seems it's got the same kind of industrial aesthetics. So I like the yeah, way the like uh, the container on top of it. it looks really really cool. Um, I'm, uh, I'm thinking myself about um, converting a, um, a Wardroff Beetle, a Lariel's mount, into a into a big sort of uh, heavy weapon platform for the Ash Wasters. Well, there was concept art for big heavy weapon platforms for the Ash Wasters, so hold your horses oh, okay. for giant beetles. <laughs> there might actually be an official one coming at some point. In fact, nice. I very much suspect they will if they don't have access to this big beastie. So yeah, so really exciting. I um I can't wait for it to come out. It can't be too far off now because there was an Ash Wastes paint guide on Warhammer TV uh, yesterday as well. So yeah, I, I think very very soon we might be able to play some games in the horrific outskirts of the spires, which is is really fun to me. Now guys, we have we have battled through Harrowdeep, and it's gone very quickly. We said way back that uh, they were moving to six monthly seasons for Warhammer underworld and obviously i think we said at the time i don't think that's enough time for it to breathe a six monthly season but we've got a new starter box coming and apparently it's getting revealed on warhammer community tomorrow um what would we like to see uh, you know presumably it's going to have some new mechanics and it'll have two warbands within the box now the facebook page says about something spooky the the warcom article talks about shadow what what would be our dream factions within this box shadow elves the first glimpse of Malarian's uh, sort of faction. It fit with the Orgu theme. It fit with the Shadow theme. For for me, it would be a uh, Clan Eshin Skaven team. Ooh. Yeah, I was tempted cool. to say that, um, but what I was going to go with was uh, um, kind of something similar to the Witch Hunter uh, father and 
daughter combo is this Van Yeah. Now you know, Dave, I've I've read a rumour a while back about witch hunters and shadow elves appearing in a box. It's interesting yeah. you say that. And that, and this rumour appeared on a bunch of rumours which had the Frankenstein-y undead and also, um, oh, I can't remember now, was it the dwarfs and the Idenef? I can't. It, it was a very accurate rumour. Now, I, the, the, it never said anything about underworlds um, or anything like that, but it, it did say witch hunters and shadow, like malarian elves in a box. Hmm. That would be cool. That would be cool. See, I, I, my random ideas would be uh, kind of the, the, uh, the what are they called the spider fang scuttlers, fleshed out mm. a bit more from the silver tower. Oh, silver tower, which, yeah. Yeah, into a proper horrible spidery goblin faction versus I don't know spooky ghosts because they're due a battle time soon. <laughs> but um, yeah, witch hunters versus uh, malarians lot would be very interesting. And also interesting to see, is that a separate faction? Would that be something that we, we get into the Daughters of King? Because technically, we have got Shadow Elves, the um, the Warcry. The war Knight Assassins, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, not, well, we'll find out tomorrow. Elves, they're not proper Shadow Elves. They're not proper Shadow Elves. Well, by the time you listen to this, they do, exactly. Kane slash corn. Um, so, what we'd, 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 um, by the time you listen to this, you'll know what this is already and we'll sound like idiots and we'll be like, oh, look at those stupid things. It's Stormcast. Stormcast versus... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we find out soon. I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it because some of the Underworlds models have been phenomenal, haven't they? The Underworlds warbands, they're all great, yeah. I mean, even the uh, factions that you don't necessarily collect, I think, are really good. Like, I'm not a massive Ogre fan, but I love the Ogre warbands. I think they're great. Even the Chaos stuff, I'm not a big Chaos fan, mm. but I think some Chaos warbands are very, very characterful. Um, yeah, Underworlds is a good sort of avenue, isn't it, for releasing sort of... Like, look at the Kenoffi. We had all the Kenoffi in the uh, Underworlds warband. Yeah, so there's scope exactly. for, for, for uh, a set of models that perhaps don't have a massive faction around them. Um, well, that's it. I've seen, you know, the, the Malarian and his shadow demons have been in the lore for quite a bit, um, but we've not had any models. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get an army book within the next 12 months. But like the Kainothi, it gives them opportunity to put out a brand new faction and not have to worry about all that stuff yet. And then later on, connect the dots and bring them out as an army. So, yeah, exciting times. It'll, now, be, finally, it'll, be, a, it'll be a Miss, a miss Weaver Sake army, Joe, from Silver Tower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another 10 years about a battle tome. <laughs> so yes yeah, so, so, and finally you, you, you've been t- you guys have been talking about some heresy and, some, and, and building some classic space marines well this week Warcom properly showed off the new Mark 6 tactical squad and they are beautiful they are beautiful I love me a beaky marine I know some neckbeards in the community are kind of grumbling like oh well they wouldn't have that much Mark 6 armor during the heresy well they did and you know that all, all the sources that we've got on the history of the Imperium are unreliable at best anyway, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, but these, these models... I mean, there's rumours Sanguinius died at the hands of Horus. I cannot believe that. That must <laughs> be <laughs> 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 um, uh, Is it just me? Or do these guys look like they've been working out? They're a little bit taller than your average space marine that I remember. Yeah, yeah I mean, this, yeah, this is really cool. Um, the um, the Forge Resin Marines, I find, are a bit on the smaller size and they're a bit thin 
in their limbs and things like that. They don't really stand up to certainly not the primaris range in terms of scale and detail, but also where uh, even like the new Chaos Marines um, size, the um, Death Guard, you know, the the, the, the true born Marine, first born Marine has sort of got a little bit bigger recently, hasn't it? Um, yeah, you remember back 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 when a lot of people did heresy armies. There was a bit of a a subsect of the hobby where people did true scale marines, where they basically extended the legs to look, make them look a bit, you know, they're meant yeah. to be massive, or well, eight foot tall superhumans. And these definitely look taller, which is a good sign. I mean, there aren't 32 mil bases. There, I, I have a feeling these are tower above the uh, the, the Mark three and four ones. Um, I think I've seen like a comparison shot um, against all the different Marines and they, they don't, they don't look too bad actually. Um, I just, I, I think, I don't know. They, they've just got so much better. I think at sculpting power armor um, and being able to cram like so much more detail and make the poses look a bit more realistic and lifelike. Whereas if you look at like the old plastic tactical Marine squad where the legs are like really far apart and, I don't know, just so much better now. Um, it'll be well, interesting to see how whether they're easy build or um, true multi-part. I, I've got a theory. I've got a theory. Now, what, what, I think one of the problems with those old marine kits was that they were very modular, but the problem is that you, you can have it super modular, but not every piece necessarily fits well with every piece without making a kind of super generic kind of pose. Looking at some of the images, there are shared legs and torsos so I wonder if that is a single piece and then your arms and head and backpack goes on the back of it, because that naturally gives you a better pose to the model because you've got that, that core pose that you then add your weaponry to. Think, it gives you less customization over the, the army, but personally, I prefer the more dynamic looking sculpt rather than being able to put, you know, arms in poses that you necessarily wouldn't want to anyway. Yeah, mm. and and I think if the um, if the shoulder pads and heads are separate as well, that's a potential there to add legion specific upgrades for that element of the model. Exactly, and, and obviously currently we've got the resin uh, special and heavy weapons, and presumably we'll see those as plastic kits like the Necromunda stuff uh, in the future. Yeah, because so... um, the in Horus Heresy, uh, your troops, unlike 40k, you'd have a, a unit armed completely with heavy bolters, for example. Um, or a unit armed completely with plasma guns. Um, they don't carry their special weapons or heavy weapons in the squad itself, which I think we've seen with this Mark's um, Mark Six armor, where they're all they're all armed with bolters, aren't they? Apart from the squad. Yeah, it is, it is designed for heresy, so you can't build it as a as a 40k tactical squad, which is fine because it doesn't need to be, does it? Um, ultimately, this is for your, your heresy players, and that's really exciting. So, and we're uh, going to be treated every Thursday to. Uh, a heresy reveal we are and and in a couple of weeks anyone who's attending the the horus heresy uh event at warhammer world will be able to paint and take home a mark six marine of their own clearly it'll be like sea green <laughs> they do look good i think i really like the color scheme the, the sons of horus color scheme um but I, I really liked how they showed um it, the the mark six marine painted in ultramarine's colors in raven guard colors it was good to see the other legions get a bit of love as well uh, whereas yeah. it looks like the box is going to be Imperial Fist pitted against Sons of Horus, although obviously with generic models you can paint on any Legion you like. Uh, but I think in the in the reveal trailer it was Imperial Fist and Sons of Horus, wasn't it? But like I say, it was nice to see them painted up in other Legion colours as well. Well, but Raven I, Guard I, I think would be cool with the Mark Raven Six. Would be cool. Well, I'm thinking I, I, I might 
my sons are horrible have got enough models, but my, my Empress children are lacking a few, and I really think the beaky look fits with the uh, Empress children as well. Mm. So, yeah, yeah so, so some cool news. Uh, lots, of, lots of stuff on the horizon. It's, uh, it's going to be an expensive month, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, looking forward to some of those releases, in particular like Land Train. Can't wait to get hold of one of those. So I think it's time to delve into the realm of Go with our next segment. So uh, we'll we'll go get ready for that and we'll uh, speak to you guys. So we are off on an expedition into the realm of Go because it is the season of war in Fondia. Matt, you have got the brand new book in your possession. Can you take us through this expansion? I can indeed. And it's, it's an interesting one. We saw this um, kind of announced at um, Adepticon, and there really wasn't a great amount of info as to what this book actually was. And I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised when I was reading through this book because it is a combination of my two favourite things in Age of Sigmar. It is one part kind of um, law supplement book. So I, I've played a lot of uh, role-playing games in the past, and you get lots of supplements about places and locations that are info on the inhabitants and the environments and lots of you know lore to use for your games and this is part what this book is about fondia which is a region of gur uh, it also has the continuing storyline as well so what gw have done really really well with the broken realms box was um kind of have this this continuing storyline happening kind of bridging the additions and you know we're seeing that as well in in 40k with these with these warzone books and season of war thondia is the first in, this, in a series of books that's going to explore what's happening as the edition's going on which is really really cool i don't think they've done that before it would normally kind of it's been the end of an edition here's a series of books that's bringing everything together where it looks like every couple of battle tomes we'll get another one of these and it kind of the story will continue we'll move to different locations and there'll be different things happening and that's really quite exciting for the kind of law nerds like me that like to see how the story is evolving and there, there is some cool law stuff in here now in in the written review, I have gone into spoilers. Do you think do you think we can have a spoiler klaxon, Dave, and, and a timestamp of when it's safe to return? I can do that. Absolutely cool. So we'll go straight in. We'll go straight in. Organs blaring. So basically, this this book tells us what 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 is happening in Thondia after the events of the um, the starter box. So after Dominion, there was there was a separate starter box. Which, which had a few battles going on, and we see the events following this. Um, Excelsis, the city in um, Thundia, was obviously attacked by Kragnos and the orcs, and the era of the beast started, and the, 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 uh, the, the Dawnbringer Crusades are fighting out into the wild, trying to get new, new bases, and there's wild monsters everywhere, and it's all a bit crazy, and everyone's up in arms. Now, a lot of this has been prompted by Alariel, the Ever Queen. She, she, I think she's caused a few problems for the peoples of the Mortal Realms. She, mm. she concocted a grand spell during the events of the Broken Realm series in order to regrow the Oak of Ages, which is cool. I like Wood Elves. That leaves the door open for Orion to come back too. That is also cool. However, this spell, it 
caused a tidal wave of life magic to go through all of the realms. We've seen it mentioned in the Iron of book that the kind of like kelp and seaweed and stuff in the seas has turned into massive like forests and in, under the oceans. Um, and this this surge of life has affected everything. Now the problem is the realm the realms themselves are alive. Realmstone is is sentient apparently, and this spell of life has caused this this realmstone to kind of coalesce and come to life. Not like a not like an endless spell or a or a prayer. It has caused the realm stone itself to become new beings. And these are called incarnates. They're literally the the realms given life. And we see the first of these in Thondia, the uh, the Crond Spine Incarnate, named after the Crond Spine Mountains where the first one was spotted. But that's not the only incarnate within Gur. There's loads of them and all over the realms too. And I don't know whether Alariel is aware that she's done this or not, or it's just an unintended side effect. But um, yeah, it seems like things are going to get interesting for the people of the mortal realms with this new, these new creatures. And they're intelligent and they can be bound to your will and, and used as, as, as offensive weapons against the, their enemies. And obviously the various factions of the mortal realms are going to be trying to bind these creatures to their dominion, um, which is which is interesting to say the least. Now, Spoiler klaxon here. Um, we we find out that the one of the factions that are trying to um, trying to kind of capture these creatures and, and and find out what makes them tick and bind them to the will are the beast men. So there's a um, there's there's, a, there's kind of like a, 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 a beastman shaman uh, called Gargaran who hears the voice of Morgur. Now, Jay, you you are an old school Wood Elf fan. You probably know this this uh, beastman from the world that was. Yeah, he's got some really really cool lore. Um, he's like uh, he's like the ultimate nemesis for Alariel, basically. Mm. Um, and in the world that was, he was sort of like a, a, a he was an unkillable chaos beastman, wasn't he? You every time he died and they thought they killed him. Uh, Alariel or uh, Ariel uh, could sense that he um, appeared elsewhere in the in the in the woods, a reborn again. Um, but he had a, some really really cool rules, didn't he? Where he basically had like an aura where he would just corrupt everything around him, and just his existence was like anathema for for the forces of life. This is it. He 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 wants to bring about a world of beasts now. In the book, we learn that exposure to an incarnate has a side effect. Just normal mortals, if they are in close proximity to an incarnate, they start growing horns, they start growing fur. You could say that they start to look a bit beastman-like. Now, is that why Morgur is interested in these, these entities, so that he can start corrupting the world? Even the Stormcast Eternals are not immune to this and become bestial when they're nearby one. And that's really the interesting, first one isn't it? We've seen. Yeah, well, that's really interesting because obviously beast men are chaos mutated humans and animals, whereas I can't imagine these incarnates of the realms of beast aren't inherently chaotic, are they? It's not a no. chaos corruption. Um, but it's it, now, but, but it's, it's still a magical corruption, and arguably yeah. magic comes from chaos. The winds so. of chaos, yeah, that's true. You could, uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So so this 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 priest. He, he hears the voice of Mergo and he's commanding him to try and capture these for the ultimate aim of bringing around the era of the beast. So, yeah, the era of the beast isn't about Kragnos 
and it isn't about um, the, the Uruks. It is the Beastmen, and I think they're going to be the main antagonist in this story arc, which is super exciting because we've seen no real kind of, apart from endless spells, nothing new for them in this edition, have we? No, uh, we, we haven't seen any Beastmen love in a very long time since like, I think it was like 7th edition Warhammer Fantasy the last time they properly got some love. I, um, yeah. it, it sounds really, really cool. The the sort of transformation effect and uh, the mutation effect, the Kanafi are running around very beast-like. Well, the, this, the, I, I wonder I wonder if this leads up to a big kind of <laughs> silver slash Kanafi slash wood elves versus beastmen old school showdown. Wasn't the um, summer battle tomes that haven't been announced yet Chaos and Order? It was indeed. I mean that would fit the bill pretty well. It would, yeah. So, so now, it, obviously, this is just, just bits that I've gleaned from the lore, but I, I thought that was super interesting and major echoes of Warhammer Fantasy there with the overarching, essentially, life versus chaos, beast yeah. versus wood elves thing going on in the background. So yeah, so basically, he's going to go around the realms and try and capture as many of these things as he can now in order to like please Pokemon. his master, like Pokemon, yeah. Um, so yeah, so really, really cool. So. Obviously, the, 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 you know, there's a big like 40 page chunk of lore in here. What's really cool as well is that we get a kind of like in universe beast diary about the various creatures that live in the in the mortal realms. And this is actually totally unexpected, but one of my favorite parts of it. So Herolf uh, Agravan, the scribe Excelsior of Sigmar, is a bit of a researcher who goes out and, and writes about the various creatures that you can find. And he draws pictures of them. And it's kind of like an encyclopedia style thing where there's a hand-drawn picture of a, a bulgur or a frost saber or a carnosaur and then a big like whole page right of, of, of these creatures and it, like i said earlier it's kind of the stuff that you'd get in like a dnd source but not a like aos supplement and i really really like it and hope we get more of this kind of stuff i kind of like to see this guy as like a, a famous explorer who's going around the realms and writing about them i just think that's a really fun thing there's What's interesting is that we see some new creatures mentioned in here as, as well. So Thondian Flathorns is a new like dinosaur type that I could absolutely see added to the um, Seraphon at some point. We see uh, Terrapins, yeah. hilariously titled Terrapins, giant rocky snake <laughs> monster things that live in... Um, in Thondia. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed that and, and more of that, please, because it was really cool. But I know a lot of people listening want to know about the rules and really the, the, the kind of the main thing that's added in here is an addition to the core rules with the rules for incarnates. Now, a lot of people have probably already kind of seen these on War Command and I think they leaked a little bit before the book came out as well. But um, essentially, it's a new unit type. It's not a spell. It is, it is a unit. It is part of your army. They can be taken in any army. It clocks in at 400 points. The Cron Spine Incarnate does. Now, I suspect that as this kind of series goes on, we will see other incarnates from other realms, maybe even other incarnates from Gur, because they kind of manifest from the, the environment they're in. So this one manifested in the mountains. So it's quite rocky and aggressive. Um, obviously, we, we know that it's got this effect of making things nearby become more bestial and frenzied. A incarnate in the realm of life might be completely different. It could be, I don't know, a grand healing spirit that heals everything nearby. It's it's quite interesting what they can do. And then part of your list building is going to be, well, what incarnate do you stick in your force? Now, there's some caveats and side effects to 
having an incarnate. It takes your entire allied allowance, but it can be over your allied allowance. So if you're playing a thousand point game, you can still take one, you just can't take any other allies. So it works in a similar way to Gotrek. Um, they have to be bonded to a hero. Because these are these are intelligent entities, it needs the willpower of that hero to keep them kind of on your side. As soon as that hero dies, it becomes wild and it treats everything on the board as an enemy. You can still move it. You can still run with it. In the charge phase, if it's within 12 inches of anything on the board, friend or foe, it has to make a charge. Mm-hmm. Equally, if you deployed quite tight to it, say, say Dave, you had one in your army, you, you put kind of a screen around it, you had your miniatures nearby, and you lost your bound hero turn one. Well, you may have inadvertently set yourself with three inches of this incarnate and immediately be in combat with the thing. So you're going to have to be quite careful with positioning and where you put it. I tell you, I, I can tell you exactly what I would accidentally do, Matt. I'd do exactly what you just said, um, but the thing you're standing next to is Kragnos. So this thing goes mad, hits Kragnos, Kragnos hits everybody else. It all turns into a big, <laughs> ugly mess um, And whilst my opponent just watches. Well, it gets it gets uglier, Dave. It gets uglier, I'm afraid. <laughs> So units, so it's it, um, incarnates. They, they don't have wounds. Instead, they have levels. They start at level two, and they go up and down levels depending on what they do. If the Cronspan incarnate kills a monster, it goes up a level. If the Cronspan incarnate eats an endless spell, it goes up a level. Yes, the thing can charge endless spells. You roll two uh, d six, add your level. If you beat the cast value of the endless spell, it eats it and levels up. If it fails to beat that cast value, it instead loses a level. So it's a bit of a gamble, but you've got plus two to the roll to start with. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty good, pretty good bet. Um, at the end of each Battleshock phase, you look at the number of wounds allocated to it and roll 3d6. If you roll under the number of wounds allocated, it drops level. If you roll over, nothing happens. And then at the end of the Battleshock phase, it loses all the wounds allocated to it. So on average, average for 3d6 is nine isn't it so you want to do like 10 moves for it on average but you know you could keep rolling super hot and keep rolling over it and it doesn't go down levels or you could take like four wounds on it and roll three ones and lose a level so it's in way on average it's it's probably going to take two turns to kill it now there are ways of killing it sooner obviously if it fails it's uh, devouring the spell it could lose a level equally spells that slayer model just cause it to lose a level as well so the slayer of kings could knock it down a level and then it's probably got a load of wounds allocated to it as well and it loses another level at the end of the turn once it hits level zero it dissipates and it's gone from the game forever um but that's quite an interesting mechanic and quite i i think i prefer that to the kind of marathi can only take three wounds a turn i think that's a cleverer way of doing it because there is a chance you could kill it it's just unlikely until a couple of turns in mm. i don't know what you guys think yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of Lord Croak, how he, um, I think you have to roll three dice and add the wounds that he's taken. And if it goes above 20, I think it is, or under 20, I think it's above 20, then, yeah. he, he, then he's removed from the table. So I I, I like what he, I do like the fact that, like you said, it's not like a Marathi of Kane where it can only take a certain amount of wounds. There's almost like a, a mini game going on with it, which is yeah. very cool. Like you could get super lucky and it never dies, or you get really unlucky and, and it, it dies after getting shot by a handful of 
models. So I quite like that. Um, it's got something called a domination range. Now this represents the um, the, the effect that it's having on nearby things and making them go wild and bestial. Anything within domination range, which starts off as 10 inches when it's on level two, it goes up to 12 inches at level three and drops to eight inches at level one. Um, anything within it, friend or foe, can re-roll, run and charge rolls, Dave. Hmm. I'm good. sure you want one of these in every one of your armies. Also, everything within domination range cannot retreat. So with your earlier blunder that you mentioned, having Kragnos near it, none of them, not even the Incarnate, because he's within range of himself, can retreat. So they are locked in combat until one of them dies. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% what I'd end up doing. (laughs) So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit careful. Also, all wizards within domination range are minus one from casting, dispelling, and binding. However... If you bond it to a hero, that hero is instead plus one to cast, dispel, and unbind. So, okay. nice way of getting a plus one to cast on your wizard. Pretty fun. Yeah, when it dies, it goes wild. Like I say, it has to charge things if it can, even if it's friendly. It also adds one to hit rolls when it's when it's crazy. So, essentially, it's hitting on twos. It's got a really decent stat line. It kind of gets more attacks as it levels up. The, the best thing about this unit is, though, however... If you give it an all-out attack command, every friendly unit within domination range, which is like, say, 10 inches to start with, that is also within three inches of enemy unit, gets all-out attack for free. Oh, that's good. Whether they like it or not. So if you want to give them all-out defense, this thing makes them aggressive. So basically, you charge in, they all go crazy, but you can't give them all-out defense. So it is a double-edged, it's very powerful, but it is a double-edged sword and... I think a lot of people look at this and go, well, that's a no-brainer. You just give all that attack on everything. But there might be situations where you don't want all that attack. And you have to be personally stay out of range of it so you don't automatically get given it. Mm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting unit. I'm, I'm looking for... Obviously, this is a really aggressive one. I, I reckon we'll see different types of these, a healing one, a defensive one, a magical one. And I think it's a fun addition to the game. I do. I mean, I've always been a big fan of endless spells and... I always look to take one whenever I can, um, even though in some cases they're, they're not really that competitive. Although I think the, since the rules have changed in third edition, I, I think there's more worthwhile taking them. And this is like the next level up from that. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely fancy getting this guy. It gives you it options existing... to sort of... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it gives you options to like shore up weaknesses in your army. Um, you know, especially when there's there's more to choose from, you know, like say if you haven't got if you're quite a defensive army and you're lacking an offensive piece, you can you can sub in one of these guys. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So it's obviously it's the only one at the minute. I think we'll get others soon. There's a lot of endless spells that were like cool models. Like that. That'd be a cool unit in the army. And I think that's the kind of the whole these are plugging, isn't it? Like the mm. um, the, there's, a, there's a couple, isn't there? Like the, the um, Fire Slayers one would make an ace unit in your army, but it's an endless spell, which is a shame. Yeah, the uh, gla- the the worm for the silver mm. as well. I was thought yeah. was a cool model. So so yeah, hopefully we see more of these soon. Um, it's really cool. I I suspect in certain armies they're going to be very very powerful, and the I don't think they're impossible to fight. I think they're going to be easier to face than Marathi. Like I say, it it can't retreat. So you're, what's he called? The Avalo Stone Lord, whatever he is, the big mountain man. Yeah. He could quite happily go into combat with this. It can't retreat. You don't want to retreat, and he just holds the line all day, and you've held up the 400-point model for the game. 
with another 400 point model <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but i know yeah. i know what you mean alarish stone guard a unit of five alarish stone guard in a in a metrical list they would be negating all the rend they've got that either quartz and all out defense they can keep tacking the minus one to hit they could probably sit there all day with it yeah so there's, there's definitely ways around it you don't have to try and kill it if you are trying to kill it if you can try and just do 10 wounds with shooting on average it should die after a couple of turns but it is with a good player chain reacting all that attack on an aggressive alpha strike army would be brutal and what what battlefield role does it have Bear so it's a bail it's a bear moth yep yeah. so it's not a leader no not got the leader keyword and it's um it's Ooh. a monster as well so all the various battle tactics that involve monsters as well will key off this as well do you do you worry i mean i like it it's cool it's a cool model i really like it in narrative games i think it's going to be ace do you worry in competitive games the fact that every army has got access to the thing is going to make it obviously in some armies it's going to be much more effective than in others and but it's, it's going to cost the same amount of points do you think it maybe needs a different points value depending on which army it's in just because no. of the synergies it's got with the i mean if it's giving all out defense for example to all out attack sorry to a sylvanoff army that's not that great sylvanoff don't really want to be fighting in combat Whereas all that attack on a corn army is much more impactful. Yeah, I, I think once we start seeing other ones of these, it's it, it's kind of a bit like the star players for Blood Bowl, where there'll be a cluster of armies that like a specific incarnate. Over the minute yeah. we've only got the aggressive ones, so yeah, your daughters of Cain, your corn, all those, all, or Uruks will really, him and Kragnos will be amazing together. Um, I think, yeah, once we start seeing some from other realms with other kind of abilities, that kind of balances things a bit. And 400 points is a big chunk of your army as well. I, I was just about to add to that conversation. Um, I actually think in a way it helps buff armies that are struggling at the moment. So I'm part of a very popular Oric group on um, Facebook and there's a few I enjoy those players sort of saying we don't really it's cool, but we've got we've got more crushes. But then you've got all the bone splitters players that are like, this perfectly fits a gap in our army, and we don't have a big monster, um, and this really suits us. Um, so I think like some armies will, will will think it is quite cool, but not want to drop like Archon or Lariel or Nagash or whatever. Whereas there are other armies such as bone splitters, which um, I think you will find we'll, we'll we'll take it. I don't think we'll see too many of them um, in tournaments. I think um, because there's so many big monsters up around that point level that synergize with your army, um, I think that will kind of balance itself a little bit, if that any of that made sense. I, I uh, suspect we'll see a lot of these in tournaments personally, but that's just me. Uh, okay. I think the fact they've, they've locked it behind that Fondia terrain box uh, I I don't think we're going to see a horrendous amount of them simply because of that reason. I mean, rules-wise, I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. It's certainly a unit that I would like to build and paint. But because it's that, you know, 135 quid box, uh, I I just can't justify it, if I'm being yeah. honest. So, no, so I mentioned this yeah. in the review. So for if... I, I expect to see it in tournaments when it's available separately, is my little caveat. I did mention I, 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 do, I don't understand why it is locked to that box. Well, I do understand it's to sell, sell a big box, isn't it? But I don't know if it's got the same draw as a battle box has necessarily. 
because mm. a lot of people don't have the space for their own gaming table. You know, that Thondu box is really cool. Lots of awesome scenery on there. But, you know, it's it is enough scenery to fill a board in a box and a cool incarnate. Whether everyone's going to necessarily have the you know spare cash kicking around to drop on that, probably mm. not. And I, if I'm honest, I'd have liked to have seen, say, that scenery box with an extra scenery piece in it and then have this guy separate, personally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So he's very cool, though. Now, that's that, as cool as that is, that's not the most exciting thing about this box. I'm not going to go into everything because I've got the review and the, the video up and you can check that out if you want to. Um, but we have got the very first Path to Glory battle pack. Hooray! It's been almost a year now. Um, we have been desperate for a Path to Glory battle pack and we kind of when this came out we were like is this it and yeah it is i, I don't think there's going to be like a, a, a general's handbook style book for path to glory i think all that content's going to sit in these books and there's like a third of this book is path to glory it's, it's a full battle pack it's it's everything you wanted if you're playing path to glory games it adds a load of new missions in there set in thondia i think within a couple of weeks of dominion coming out we had rinsed all those path to glory missions in the core book um and this is going to be controversial to some listeners, but I actually prefer Path to Glory games and the Path to Glory missions to competitive match play Age of Sigmar. There's lots going on with your with your grand strategies and your battle tactics and all that kind of stuff. I much prefer, here's a cool scenario, you've got to go do something. We've played one, haven't we, Jay? I think you were trying to stop a ritual. We've had yeah, one where people were waiting to get airlifted out, and you've got more stuff like this, but all set around Bondi and kind of beastie stuff, so... You know, there's a settlement under attack by monsters and you've got to defend it. You know, cool narrative games. And I think the match play scene's missing that a little bit, personally. Now, one of the cool things you can do in this thing is add an outpost. Now, this is the, it was mentioned in the core of rules. And I'm like, ooh, that's something cool coming soon. And basically, depending on the size of your stronghold, you can set a number of different outposts across the realms. You've only got a limited supply, so you're going to have to pick and choose where you put them. Again, similar to the incarnates, at the minute, this is the only one you've got at the minute, I'm afraid. But eventually, I think we'll have a whole kind of like atlas of different places where you can put your outposts. And it gives you access for a few different benefits. So first of all, when you level up your characters, you can pick a Thondian veteran ability instead of your normal one. Basically, that represents your guys going to your Thondian outpost and training there. And that's stuff like extra damage when you're fighting monsters, stuff like that which is pretty cool. Uh, you can also um, choose, if you if you purchase a monster for your army and you've got an outpost, you can choose to try and get a Thondian prime monster. So in Thondia, the monsters are bigger and meaner than usual. So if you've got an outpost, you can decide that your guys in the outpost will go out and try and capture that monster instead. And mechanically, basically you roll a d6 and on a 5 plus is a prime monster, which means that you can pick a prime monster ability for it to have on top of its normal profile. They're not too over the top, but um, they're, they're pretty thematic. So it could, for example, have a terrifying roar. So once per game in the Battleshock phase, it gives nearby units minus three bravery as it gives a terrifying roar and they're all running away. Or it, it once per game, can uh, it's got a crushing bulk ability. So it's stuck in combat. It essentially gets fly, but what it can do is ram its way out of combat get free and then cause damage to the unit that it's ran out of. And again, That's all cool. of them are once per game, but they're nice thematic ones to represent that. Okay, I've got a Carnosaur in my RA, but this is a really big alpha Carnosaur that I caught in Thondia. 
And again, as we get other realms added, I think that'd be a really nice thematic thing for us to add. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Can you, um, uh, I don't know if you answer this in your review map, can you purchase something like a Carnosaur? Like, does it have rules for that? If you've got a Carnosaur on your army list, yes, you can purchase one. Basically, when you when you buy a monster. So if you bought a Mork Crusher on a 5+, plus, it's a Prime Mork Crusher, and it gets an extra ability. Uh, okay. But, right, okay, but right. If, if Dave's on the market for a carnosaur. If, if you wanted <laughs> an Uruk riding a carnosaur, you can do that too, Dave, if you really, really want. So returning in this book is the Anvil of Apotheosis. Now, this is something that I think we were all expected to be in the core book. And I've got to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't part of the core path to glory. But now the full, and it's like 20 pages, massive uh, anvil of apotheosis is part of narrative play, Path to Glory with this. So rules are written, and obviously, you know, Path to Glory is a toolbox. You can change things as you want. But there's a special quest that you can go on in, in Thundia where you pick a number of anvil of apotheosis destiny points between 10 and 40, and then over a course of battles, you'll accrue the currency that you can then spend on the anvil of apotheosis to forge a new hero and basically how this works is that you get those points between 10 and 40 and with them you can, you can craft your own character so what we're going to do what we're going to do this is going to be interactive dave we are going to craft together a character on the anvil of apotheosis now what you do first Ace. is pick your points limit so we won't bother with that because we do you can't do the points <laughs> Uh, but essentially, on your path of glory, you'd, you'd, have, you'd have to weigh up. OK, you could have a 40 point one, which roughly the exchange rate is is 10 points per destiny point. So a 40 point anvil of apotheosis character costs 400 points in your game. So that's going to be an expensive big character <laughs> where a 20 point one, that's a 200 point kind of yeah cool character. Obviously, in your path to glory, you could have a 100 point character, you know, 10 destiny levels. So I quite like that you have that granularity of you could have like a really cool like champion or you could have massive monster amazing guy and everything you, in between. Can you take can you start off with a 10 destiny hero and upgrade him over the course of a campaign, perhaps? You, you, so you can't currently, but it's easy enough to be able to do that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they add it later on. You know, the right. stat stat increases are pointed in here. So, for example, so you, just, one you could just create a new one. Yeah, exactly. And again, so, so. I'd quite like to start a Path to Glory with us all having our own custom like uh, champion level. So that's a 20 destiny, so 200 point equivalent character that we start right. with to lead our armies rather than taking the name character or something. I think that'd be fun. And again, yeah, yeah. this is something they'll build on as they do more of these books. This is the first one. You know, how many uh, Crusade books does 40k have now? And each of them is kind of built on that modularity, hasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. You, once you've picked your points level, and again, in a path to glory, you've got to weigh it up because you could have your core 400 point equivalent character, but it's going to take you a lot of games accruing that currency in order to do that. So it might be a better idea to have a cheap one. And, you know, you still get your core character, but it doesn't take you months of playing to unlock him, uh, which is cool. You know, I, I think there needs to be a grind for this kind of stuff because it gives you a, a reward for putting the effort into playing the games on path to glory. And Crusade is the same. It's always good to have a reward at the end of the kind of like you know the the gimmick that your army's trying to do 
So the next step is picking your ancestry of your character. Now, the original Path of Glory had a handful and they expanded it in a few of the White Dwarfs. But this has got about 26 different ancestries in there. So you can be an elf, you can be a bone splitter, you can be a demon, you can be a dragon ogre, you can be a grot, you can be a vampire. You can I'd be love an to ogre. see a 400 point grot. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can do it as well. So, so Dave, we're going to do what? What? What character would you like to forge? In choose the, a grot. Choose a grot. I, I'm you, go what are your Skaven. army that you've got? Skaven. Cool. I'm going to so, go with Skaven. Skaven. So you can be a Skaven. So that costs you three points. Just have a Skaven. Five plus move. Five wounds. Five plus save. Seven bravery. You can have him in any of the Skaven armies. Just your standard stock Skaven. That's cool. He's probably going to die. But it's fine. So next, you can pick him to have some weapons, Dave. So you can pick one-handed weapons. You can pick missile weapons. You can pick two-handed weapons. You can pick shields. There's all sorts you can have. Spears, hammers, flails, improvised weapons, a mage's staff, a great sword. What what kind of weapon would you like your Skaven to have? What are you picturing in your head for your Skaven? What, what is he going to be? Is he going to be a, a leader of your armies? Yeah, I think I want something stabby. Something stabby, like a great spear. Like a great spear, like a halberd, maybe? Yeah. I think think a great spear is close enough to... I'm picturing a big halberd here. So that is two inch range, three attacks, fours to hit, threes to wound, minus one rend, two damage. Cost you two destiny points. Your skaven with a halberd has cost you, what, five points so far. He's fairly cheap. Does he want a shield? Probably not. He's got a two-handed halberd. He's fine. He's a skaven. Yeah. So, so next you pick an archetype for your hero. So he can either be a commander, which allows him to have a unique kind of like combat um, command traits, or he can be an acolyte, which makes him a priest. And again, he gets a custom prayer, or he can be a mage and that gives him some unique bespoke spell. So does he want to be a fighter, a monk or a mage? Fighter, please, Bob. A fighter, a fighter. So you get to pick one of the two following abilities. He can either be a ferocious warlord. So once per battle, he can issue forward to victory or all out attack for free. Or he can be a beastmaster. And once per battle at the start of the combat phase, the general can goad their mount. And if they do, they're plus one to hit. He's oh. going to be a beastmaster, Dave, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got to be a beastmaster if he's only hitting on fours. Hey, so well, we've made him a beastmaster then. Cool. So next you can choose to give him a bestial companion. You don't have to do this. He could have a minor beast, so that could be basically a creature on his base, so an etherwing, a, a flesh hound, a, a crab, a rat swarm, yeah. Or you can mount him on a small kind of creature, or you could mount him on a gargantuan creature. Palaquin. Yeah, yeah. I wanna and, I wanna go I wanna go I wanna go big. Go you big or go, go home. Big. So you have a gargantuan yeah. beast. And what this does it, it adds eight to your wounds characteristic. It changes your move characteristic to a, a, a random chart. And basically, your guy will be movement 10. He'll have six claw attacks from his mount. He'll have two more attacks with his mount. His, his, his mount hitting on fours with his claws and threes with his more. Um, pretty good. Min- minus one rend, two damage on his claws. Minus two rend, four damage on his more. Uh, he gets the monster keyword. This costs 15 destiny points, so you're on like 20 points already now off the top of my head, Dave. But the thing right. is, it doesn't it doesn't define what creature this is. It is just a big creature. So in your head, you can then think, okay, I want a giant 
we've mentioned a carnosaur before, or some kind of big horrific carnosaur. Yeah, or <laughs> it could be some horrific creature that the clan mold regents have cooked up, some big fleshy thing with a steam tank attached to one side of it and a cannon on its head. I don't know. What kind of what kind of creature do you envision your um your, your Stephen Ryder? I think I think if I I'd be a bit ironic if it was on a massive kind of battle cat. Or something. Battle cat. A massive battle cat. <laughs> does does like your massive, massive battle cat have wings, Dave? It, why not? Why, why not? And does it want to breathe fire? The fur balls, maybe? Yeah, why not? Yeah. So, so you've Poison got a massive cat with wings that can breathe fur balls. It's got a poisonous bite. It causes terror. It's got a tail with a ball on the end of it. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. Basically, there's a massive list of what that you can give to your creature to define what it is so obviously a, a dragon will breathe fire and have wings where maybe a big scary kind of like giant thing maybe might cause terror and have higher strength than usual or better to hit wound as usual and again you can add as many of these as you like but the points start racking up pretty rapidly which is a nice kind of like balancing mechanic otherwise you have a massive 800 point absolute monster um so yeah and then finally what you can then do is spend any remaining points to up your stats and give it special rules so all of your core stats you kind of wound your move your bravery your save your kind of damage all that kind of stuff you can up cost points each each point that you go up you can improve the the rend you can give it a ward save that's quite expensive um you can let him regenerate so in your hero phase on a four plus he regenerates d3 wounds that's quite a cool one for some horrific monster that the skaven have cooked up in their lab you could maybe make him an arc mage which allows him to cast spells you could make him a zealot so he can run in charge in the same turn loads of really really cool stuff you can do now again these all cost a lot of points but you can see already on our little random thing that we've cooked up i mean your guy's probably pushing 400 points now dave but uh, you've got your Ooh. own custom skaven warrior with an axe riding a massive horrific beast that can fly and breathe fire and that's something you wouldn't be able to do in the standard skaven book no but you've got you've got points and structure to make a balanced character out of that now obviously this is this is based around path to glory it does mention that maybe there'll be i don't know events at warhammer world where you'll be able to create one of these as part of your list but everybody gets the same kind of thing so it's fair but i think Mm. as standard this probably isn't a match play thing, but it does kind of call out the point where there may be events that allow these, and that's why the points converters there. So I'm really excited for this. I think even just your minor characters, where you've got like a, a guy that you could convert up with a different weapon and you know give it a mount, being able to create your own rules with its own like structure and balance to make it kind of fair in the game is just a genius idea, isn't it? Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I, I really like it. I mean, you look at a lot of War Scrolls and Age of Sigmon, it's the typical five wounds with a four-up save, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, being able to have, like, a vampire lord with, like, seven wounds and a three-up save, but maybe he's not that fighty and he's more of a um, political... A yeah, yeah, like a, a vampire lord who's used to sort of um, manipulating things behind the scene rather than a fighter, you know, going into that depth with it, that that's what really appeals to me, especially for like narrative gaming, building your own characters. Because I found what I love about narrative gaming is building your story around those characters. 
and this allows yeah. you to to really push a boat out on it and what's interesting i suspect this is probably the toolbox the studio team used i suspect all of those different races have a stock profile to start with and then as they add stats you've got the points and the working out for all these abilities and how they tune all that it's quite interesting having a peek behind the curtain to see how it all works i would love mm. to see this for 40k too yeah that would be cool yeah i think that could work really well i remember they so, used to have in 40k like a vehicle construction set of rules it did, like, yeah. in a white dwarf once it was and a very similar thing where you've got this kind of base stats this i mean this this is the best version of Path of Glory we've had just because of the amount you, basically whatever character you want to create in your head you can do it which is so good and i can see them just building on this in the future you don't necessarily have to there's nothing too over the top on here and you don't need to worry too much about balance issues if it's designed for Path to Glory because everybody else has got the opportunity to build their own characters as well and you still got to pay the points for it. You know, you, if you build your 40 destiny power thing, it still costs 400 points when you want to take him to one of your battles. So I, I'd argue, I think they're probably pointing them in such a way where maybe it's a little bit more expensive for your kind of custom character than it would be a generic one. But I think everybody in the same mindset that it's fun to take your own bespoke hero to these games. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Path to Glory, making the story. And this is the first opportunity we've had to have our own characters. And of course, they're still going to level up and get all their cool stuff they get from leveling up within a Path to Glory setting as well. Like you asked earlier, Jay, I suspect we'll see future ways to spend glory of going back to the Anvil and adding additional stuff to an existing hero, maybe. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Like you say, the framework's there anyway with a few house rules. And because it's only narrative play, you can tweak it as much as you want, as long as you're enjoying the game. Um, I reckon there's a way we can we can adjust that system so that we can develop these characters over the course of our Path to Glory campaigns. Yeah, that'd be really fun. You know, it, it easily done. You have it. You you go on the same hero quest to earn ten destiny points, and then you just spend those ten destiny points on your existing hero. Dead easy. Yeah. Way of doing it. Yeah, and I I think I think what I'd like to do as well is start with one of these heroes rather than play ten games to earn the points to create your first character. Just start with that character initially. Yeah, agree, I, points value we can all use and. I said the same in the review. I think the next time we start a Path to Glory campaign, which is probably soon now we've got this book, is, um, yeah, as part of our initial thought, we outlaw named characters. And mm. with this, you can you can build very similar stuff with your own touch. So that's really, really fun. So we're going to go into all this book. So I've got the full review. Um, I do want to call out that there's a full tournament pack in here. So, Andy, you've, you've done a few tournaments over your time. In here, you get a full narrative tournament. It is match play. You've got the full pack in there with unique core battalions and grand strategies and all that jazz. Um, but it's five unique missions set around the storyline of Thondia. So you have a whole campaign weekend, similar to some of the stuff that GW have done, but as a pre-made campaign in a book, which gets a massive thumbs up for me. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's crying out for a throne of scores at some point, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to a Thondia event in a couple of months, and I wonder, hmm, are Steve and the guys going to run it from this book? <laughs> I wonder, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be cool. Um, so, yeah. So, again, massive thanks to Games Watch for sending us this a little bit early to review. I, I'm i surprised they didn't kind of do more of a song and dance about the Path to Glory stuff in here because that is, like, the best part of this book. It's amazing. Couldn't agree more, really. Um, really looking forward to picking it up myself as well. It's, it's currently on pre-order, isn't it? It's out on Saturday. It is. It's up for pre-order. It's out on Saturday. Um, we, we, we should, hopefully, by the time the 
book comes out, have our hands on the Thundia uh, box as well. So I will be building and painting up the uh, incarnate and some of that new scenery as well to to share with you guys. So keep your eyes peeled. It'll be on the website as soon as it's up there. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I will put a link to that review in the podcast notes so you can check that out at your leisure. And the video is within the link and also over on our YouTube channel so you can check that out as well. We're going to take a break from Age of Sigmar now because we're going to delve into the 41st millennium with our uh, top three, and that's coming up next. We are pushing on towards the end of this week's episode, but it is now time for the top three. And this week, Matt asked us for our top three non-human species or creatures in the 40k universe. So we are going to start this week with Matt himself. Matt, what is your top three? Well, he's caught me by surprise there, Dave. Well, my uh, number three choice is a creature that we saw um, in the Horus Heresy, I believe in the first book. I might be wrong. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it's the first book. It is the Mega Arachnids. (laughs) This is on my list. (laughs) So this is a horrific alien race. Think basically the aliens out of Starship Troopers, basically, and the big spider-like arachnid creatures that um, managed to kill an awful lot of Empress children and blood angels until um, uh, I think the Empress children came to um, sort them out. I believe believe the blood angels went to help the Empress children, didn't they? And then um, in the end, I was reading up about these today because it's been a while. I think it was one of the first books, Matt. I think it was the second book, this one. And basically... I think these were these were like you say a really violent species of alien um, that the Legio Astartes was struggling to um, wipe out on this planet. And actually, these aliens, a, 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 a sort of offshoot of humanity, had been fighting these aliens a long time ago before the Emperor came along. The Interrex, this this human civilization, and they basically wiped out these Megarachnids and with the exception of the ones that are left on this planet and they treated it as like a nature reserve they basically prevented them from traveling off the planet uh, and they just kept them alive on this planet as like i don't know like a you know they couldn't they couldn't wipe the whole thing out from the galaxy didn't, um, didn't they leave a beacon basically saying stay yeah, stay stay well stay away, away and then yeah. i think it was eidolon probably eidolon rocked <laughs> up and thought i'm gonna get some glory for from a primark and sent his guys down to the planet and then the blood angels had to get involved and it all became a bit bloody didn't it yeah you might be right actually the Empress children might have been gone been sent there to to, to, to save the blood angels thinking back about it now yeah i think you might be right there but yeah and then uh then obviously these humans turn up then and uh it doesn't end well for the humans either <laughs> No, no, it doesn't it's end generally well for, doesn't end well for anyone in these books, does it? Uh, <laughs> no. But yeah, I'd love to see models for them. You know, obviously we, we get into the. I, I assume that the new Heresy box is going to be set on the Siege of Terror, and then we can have supplements then filling in the backstory. It'd be nice to see some offshoot Xenos species, even if it's just a a curio that you can paint up. Because I mean, there's there's an entire campaign essentially on this planet so you'd only need a couple of kits and you could do a mag- mega arachnid force couldn't you and then convert up the rest of them similar to the demons of the ruin storm list yeah, so yes that, that would be cool little um um like um box sets which just tell a story from the great crusade like say there's, there's quite a few little um things like this you've got the initial siege by the sons of horus on the false emperor uh, yeah. you've got the lair is it with the, the fall of the um uh, the emperor's children that's where they get the blade isn't it that starts mm. corrupting fulgrim 
Uh, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, you could do you could do an Ulanor campaign box. Or oh, this is Ulanor. this is thinking outside the box, but there's some fun stuff they could do once we've released all the cool new Space Marines and Blastic. Can you imagine Ulanor? That would be so good. Yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Uh, but we, we're going off on tangent here again. Yeah. And excited about Horus <laughs> Heresy. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go strictly into the, the current time period. And I say the current time period, I mean the 90s. We've got on my list, number two, the Screamer Killer. The most horrific, terrifying, amazing model ever released for the Tyranids. It is a, it is a beautiful thing. I saw it on Twitter. I forget who did it. I forget his name. Chris something or other. He does a lot of stuff with LEDs. And he has LED'd up a, st- a Screamer Killer. It is beautiful. And, um, I'll send cool. you the link, Dave, so you can stick it in the podcast notes. Will do. Um, yeah, I've I've just got a soft spot for these. Big, chunky metal model. It looked ridiculous at the time. I've got a soft spot for it. I know Dave hates me. He prefers the current plastic carnifex. <laughs> um, but yeah, Screamer Killer all the way. However, number one. Now, I wasn't going to put squats, and I thought that's boring because everyone's expecting me to say squats. So I've gone a bit outside the box. Non, non-human races and entities. Mm, okay. So I've gone for the Neverborn. Well, I mean, they were classified as Xenos to begin with. They were. You know, that, that's, that's what that's what the uh, the Imperial High Command told its armies and the citizens. Don't worry about these things bursting out of reality. They're just another form of nasty Xenos. Exactly, and that's 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 what the people should believe. And but specifically, I'm not talking about the 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 demons that we know and love. I'm talking about the kind of the weird things that live within the warp. So in the in the, I think it's in the Magnus book where he's flying through the ether seeing the, the universe and basically showing off to Araman. We see basically like demon whales swimming through the void with like shoals of demonic fish following them. And I always thought that's that's really cool. These are just beings of of, of emotion and energy just in their weird natural form. And, you know, once they pop into our universe they become, you know, blood letters, demonettes, whatever. Uh, it's I think again from a miniature point of view, and I, this is something I'd like to see for the, the heresy demons. See some of these unformed demons in the natural state to represent the the neverborn, as they call them, just the 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 non not necessarily god aligned demons of just pure malice and energy that spill out onto the battlefield. You know, a big cool demonic whale of the ace, wouldn't it? It's like a greater demon piece. Well, yeah. Well, it's a bit subjective, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, um, a bit um, nervous about any kind of uh, warp creature. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to stay near them. No. Yeah, you definitely don't want to drop your Gallifields because that always goes wrong. So yeah, that's that's mine. I, I'm not, I've not said squats, Dave. You've not said squats. Will any of us say squats? Shall we find out if Andy says squats? Andy, your top three, please. Um, I did not say squats. <laughs> you just never um, heard you. So my my third choice, um, they're big, they're green. They like to shout a lot, and we've got quite a variety of different types of them now. And that's the simple, in many ways, orcs. So my you third choice is, is is orcs and um, the crocs, weren't they? The old ones created them. That's one of the theories anyway, isn't it? When the old ones at war with the uh, Necron Tear and then they were struggling uh, to beat the Sea Tamworth, the Star God, so they spawned the Eldar and the Crocs. Because aren't there rumours of a, a Brainy Orc? 
uh, the, the orcs have this like innate ability to to build things and use things and mm. make things. And where does that where does that innate ability come from? How do they know? You know, when a human's born, they can they can only just like you know <laughs> breathe <laughs> and eat, and that's it. They can't walk or crawl or do anything. Whereas when an orc is spawned, it instinctively knows how to put together a weapon and fire a rudimentary bolt weapon. And, Build uh, they a warp reckon, phase shift device. Yeah, it's fine. yeah. And they reckon it was. Um, well, one of the one of the theories I've read is that it was all sort of genetically built into them by the old ones, as like they used them as like a shield against the you know when they started losing the war. Of course, they didn't help the old ones, but and now the orcs are running rampage across the galaxy. Like so the simple orc, maybe not the so not so simple orc. <laughs> simple in the sense that they like to hit things and shoot things, um, but yeah, the simple well. Orcs. Let's just say orcs. Um, you know, bone splitters, they're cool. You got the iron jaws, they're super cool. I mean, 40k, we've now got the beast snaggers, which um we're definitely delving back into those squig sort of style orcs, which is super cool to see. Uh and let's face it, orcs just make for a good I'm using air quotes here, bad guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um so yeah, they they definitely uh, jumped onto my list. Um, the second choice, though, <clears throat> the second choice, though, is from the um, Beast Arises book, I Am Slaughter. Now, it's very similar to the Mega Arachnids that um, Matt mentioned, but it's the um, Chromes, which are like an insectoid alien, very similar to the Mega Arachnids. But they are basically responsible, again, spoilers, for wiping out pretty much the entire chapter of Imperial Fists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and anything that's, you know, that, that can do that is a serious threat to the Imperium. And now, uh, as the book goes on, they are eventually overshadowed by the Orcs. But it just got me thinking how cool it would be to see these sort of creatures in 40k. Because you, you think of 40k, or they just go to a world and, you know, they set up some outposts and set up a city or, you know, whatever. But most of the time, there's going to be an indigenous life form, and sometimes the planet fights back. And mm. when I was reading the um, the book and reading about the chromes and, you know, just the, the, the threat that they are, you know, space means are, you know, super powerful and stuff like that. But the, the chromes just rinse them to pieces. And for me, I, I, I that was uh, reading it. It was just such a good book, and and like it, it gave me very nostalgic, tyrannid vibes. Yeah, um without they were being like tyrannids. tyrannids. Yeah, they were like tyrannids, weren't they? But they weren't. I find tyrannids to be quite. They've got that sentience about them, and they've got their own sort of personality and character, and, and you know they're quite gruesome looking, and they've got like all the bio weapons and flesh borers and. All that sort of stuff, tendril in the warp. Whereas the chromes, I found, I quite liked them. <laughs> they they were just like bugs, weren't like an ant nest, really. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> they didn't have that sort of like evil alien type theme going on for them that the tyranny would have going for them. But you, 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 you be... do know you're gonna have the uh, the Inquisition waiting for you at the end of this oh, yeah. podcast. You've, there's a lot of Xenos <laughs> love going on at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the chromes are my my second choice and. My first choice, um, I, I really did go back and forth with these. 
a lot and I, di- I didn't know where to place them in my, my my top three list was actually like a top 10 and um <laughs> yeah it, eventually i settled on the Tau being my first Ooh, choice the Tau. because they're they're the new upcoming young race you know they, they they've got a lot of um love to bring to the galaxy in one way of putting it i suppose at the end of a hammerhead heavy rail gun yeah 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 definitely yeah you know for the greater good um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but looking at them they're, they're super cool army you know the amount that they've been able to do in just a a, a thousand years <clears throat> since the imperium first discovered them you know is is incredible and then like we we get to see you know battle suits we we get to see um you know the vespid and the crew coming in you know we, they they've embraced other races you know they in in many ways they are a very quote-unquote friendly xenos army mm. as, as long as you don't get in the way of them and, and you say, embrace them say back that. Say that to my LA Tuck Eldar that got um, <laughs> shot to ribbons by Dave's Tau. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the Tau are my, my first choice because they're, they're, they're really cool. But I, the Tyranids almost jumped up to number one for me as well. They, they were definitely a close second. So I, I too, um, they didn't quite... I think if I chose a fourth, I would have gone with Tau, um, mainly because of, you know they brought us all the special technology and battle suits and stuff. Um, but for my top three, uh, I don't stray very far away from the Tau Empire, because my third choice is the Vespid, um, who you just quickly mentioned then, Andy. Um, I think they're a very unused unit in the Tau book, um, but actually their lore is quite interesting. And when I imagine Vespid um, you know, in like an animation or something i can't quite help but use um the attack of the clones uh star wars yeah. film uh the, the genosians yeah um yeah. it's kind of like inspiration for that of what they look like and fight like with their like sonic weaponry um so i think they'd be they'd be a really cool a race to expand upon at some point in the future um, or at least give them a plastic kit, come on. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see the race expanded. I'd like to see more lore with them involved. There's there's not that much lore that I've seen knocking around outside of the Codex. Um, they're not really mentioning any novels, I don't think. So um, I'd, I'd definitely love to see that race explored more. I think it would be quite interesting. Um, my second choice is a Tyranid. But I'm, I've decided to go for a specific kind of Tyranid, uh, and that's a Lictor. So these are like where a lot of the Tyranids are very like in your face. I'm a big monster. I want to charge at you and, and, and kill you. The Lictor is, you know, it's like your Sly Marbo with the the guard. He, he's, he stealths <laughs> around. He's got chameleon skin. And then up he pops and you're dead. You know, he's yeah, he's like tendrils and big claws. Um, he's he's really a favourite of um of mine when it comes to a Tyranid. And whenever I take a Tyranid army, ever since I got my hands on a Lictor, I think he's been in every list. Even though he used to be garbage, but he's not anymore. Um, so yeah, and some, some... As, a, as an aside, um, tell us about the Lictor in 40k. Well, see, the Lictor used to have something like. Four or five attacks. He had no rend. His attacks 
split across a couple of weapons. One had maybe one AP, the other didn't have any AP at all. He didn't have much of a save, he had a six plus save and no invulnerable save. I can't remember now, the old book's been filed away. Now though, because it never made sense because he was designed to be this this creature that would pop out and kill like, you know, you, you may have accidentally Jay left a Primaris Lieutenant, you know, slightly on his tod, so his Lictor comes along and he's dead. Um, he is much more like that now. So he's movement 10, which I think is quicker than he's ever been. He's got a 2 plus weapon skill. Um, he's strength 7. I'm sure he used to be strength 5, maybe 6. Um, he's toughness 5. I think he used to be toughness 4. He's got 5 wounds, which is about the same as he had before. He's now up to 6 attacks. Um, and of those attacks, they're just split across his claws and talons. The strength uses a strength seven ap minus three flat damage two so he's Ooh, he, you know he's 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 killing characters now which is exactly what i think he should have been like from the word go he's got loads of cool abilities so he's minus one to hit you can't shoot him from over 12 inches away he's even got his own invulnerable save he's got five plus invulnerable save he always fights first uh, which is really cool and then he can also be hidden um and deployed anywhere on the battlefield like a deep strike basically so he's finally the character killer that he um was always meant to be um, yeah i mean i i just picture you know the, you always get the scene in alien where the the, the the xenomorph unfurls itself from the roof drops down and just rips apart the the guy with a big gun that yeah. that's what the lictor should be doing shouldn't it yeah 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 when before he was just tickling him really it, it, um i never had much of a lictor i can't wait to use him in with new rules. But anyway, so he's my second choice, not just because of his rules change and stuff, but because actually I think he's a really fun character um, within the Tyranid army. Uh, and that leads me to my top choice. Um, and I did quickly have a sneak peek at the community and saw that I am not the only one that picked this. I was a bit disappointed. I thought this might have been a bit of a left field choice. Um, but I have gone for a Jacaro. Jacaro, space monkeys. So, space orangutan. Space monkeys. Yeah, so I don't think many people know. Well, I didn't think many people knew about these, but they're a, a very unused asset for the Inquisition. Um, he's not as good at, uh, nowadays, but previously he used to like augment your um, auto troops um, to get like loads of cool upgrades on their weapons. Um, he's a really cute little model. That he's a, got his finger pointing out. He's like slightly mechanical um he's a little bit creepy but he is basically a space monkey um again a race i don't think we really know much about i'd like to know more about them um, uh yeah they're, they're engineers <gasps> they're quite an intelligent race yeah i think there's been quite a bit about them little little easter egg our uh, april fool's joke if you clicked on the link to games works within that article he actually took you to the product page for the jacaro that was a joke oh i didn't notice that mm. oh, that was cool Oh, nice one. I didn't notice that. Um, so yeah, he was my he was my top choice. And actually, I, I owe him a, I, I, it's a disservice really. I've had one for years that I've occasionally used, not recently, but occasionally used in the past. Never painted him, so I think he needs to be painted <laughs> today. He had some really cool rules. Yeah, he did. It, like I say, he's, he's not very good now, but um, yeah, I think I should. I think. I should paint him. I might paint him before the next podcast if I can. Sneak him in after I've got other things done. Because um, he's not very big. 
so yeah, there's my top three. Who shall we go to next? I think there's only one person left. Actually, uh, and that's you, Jay. Please, please come to me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, Matt, Matt. Um, my number three choice was also Mega Arachnids, and we've talked about them. Um, they, they're just really, really cool at the beginning of the Horus Heresy, and to see the Legion of Starters really getting battered by something was quite cool as well. They're a bit, they're a bit but, arrogant, aren't they, at first, until they just get yeah. absolutely battered by them, and like, <laughs> ooh. And, and it, the, the Empress Children and the Blood Angels are kind of a, a bit standoffish, aren't they? Where then they're like, well, actually, yeah, we best uh, work together and sort these out. It was cool. It was cool. Luckily, I had a lot of a lot of options to choose from in my uh, top top three, which was more like a top thirty uh, Xenos races. Um, so so I'm going to pick one that was from my backup list. And in the third edition um, third edition 40k rulebook. There were lots of um, cool sort of little snippets and diagrams and pieces of information about the different inhabitants of the uh, the um, uh, Warhammer setting. Uh, and, and this actually predates like the Kroot getting models and the Kroot were in there as a little diagram. There were, there were lots of cool things. There were some Necron Warriors, the old school Necron Warriors with the really cool shoulder plates and the weird looking guns as well. Just labelled unknown, uh, sort of dangerous aliens that inhabit the galaxy. Um and there are a, cool, a couple of things here, so I'm going to mention two of them as my top, top my, as my third choice in my top three. The first, first one was the Claude Fiend of the Denorian Sector, and this sort of just appeared in the in in, in the back of this um, pictures of I think there was like a, an amble on there, there was a neck and wire, a crew, and then there was this just like this Yeti type thing sort of in the background with this massive set of clawed hands. Maybe a star always, player from Blood Bowl. Yeah, very much like Starfire from Blood Bowl. Um, the Denorian Claude Fiend. Um, and then it got a model. It could be taken in a um, Dark Eldar Beastmaster retinue. So when the Dark Eldar range got refreshed, was that 4th edition, 5th edition? Maybe? A while ago now, yeah. Yeah, they you could have a Beastmaster um, with a selection of um, aliens that he sort of um, led into battle. There were like this Razor Flox, I believe. There were some Chimera-type looking creatures um and um the denorian claude fiend um who just looks like a fun guy to be honest i think they just <laughs> they're like the hulking muscle love love fighting um and if they get wounded the, the the blood gives off like a pheromone that makes them even more berserk um so mm. the dark elder i love them that was one alien the other alien and this is this was really cool and uh, this is probably one of my favorite things about the warhammer 40,000 setting is there's so many like little Easter eggs and like hints at something, but it doesn't go into much detail about it. For a long time, the Horus Heresy was like that, but obviously now it's mm. been fleshed out. Um, and there's a, a an area of space called, I think it's called the Ghoul Stars, and there's not much written about it. Um, there were a couple of Space Marine chapters that basically patrol the, the this. It's a far, far, far away from Terra. I, I'm not even sure if the the light of the Astronomicon reaches into the Ghoul Stars. But there's there's rumor of a threat in the Ghoul Stars, which is just too dangerous to, for, for, for the general population to even be aware of. Uh, and these Space Marine chapters basically stand vigil against this threat. Uh, and no one quite knows what this threat is. Um, there's there's like um, rumors of um, uh, like nightmarish siege engines laying waste to whole sectors and. And, uh, and different other sort of horror stories about the threat that, that these um, space marines have fought against. Um, so not really an alien as such to put a name to, but obviously there's some sort of Xenos threat out there. 
that warrants these space marine chapters maintaining a permanent vigil in that area of space. Um, you know, they're, they're supposed to um, much more threatening than the orcs and the tyranids and things like that. So if, if you can get hold of a copy of the third edition 40k rulebook, there's loads of loads of cool things in there, like the Herod. And I think there's some like enslavers, is it? The enslavers, which enslavers, are like psychic yeah. jellyfish. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so some really, really cool. So that, that was my top three, a sort of collection of rumours, myths, legends, half-truths of aliens that exist in the galaxy. Um, my number two choice um, is related to the Eldar and, and the Exodite Eldar, the Exodite dragons. So these mm-hmm. are um, a species of um, reptilian creatures that they, the Megadons, basically, that the Exodites brung with them to these maiden worlds and these these um, sort of um, uh, worlds that they, that they now inhabit and protect. Uh, and the Exodites call them dragons, and this can be anything from like the combat beasts that they ride, dragon knights, uh, to the big herbivore creatures that sort of, um, you know, work their fields and carry their equipment around and things like that. Um, in my mind, they look like carnosaurs and raptors and T-Rexes and things like that. And I think Matt will be able to tell me that there was epic models for these guys at one point. Ooh, ooh, now you got you've, you've, you've thrown a curveball. I don't know if there's ever been any models for Elder Exodites. All right, okay. I, I had a feeling there were some there were some epic models at at one point in time, but maybe not. Um. So yeah, so that that's that's uh that's my uh, uh second choice, and I'd love to see an Eldar Exodite force at some point in the future. Um, you know, lizard men and Seraphon, they're really really cool. Everyone loves a dinosaur, um, mm-hmm. and it would be great to see dinosaurs with like pulse cannons and star cannons attached to it. Um. My number one choice, though, was something I saw recently, well, fairly recently, um, and it was a new a new sort of thing in the Warhammer setting, a, a new model that we, we hadn't seen um, before, um, and they haven't really developed it, and I'd like them to develop it, really, because I, I thought it was a really interesting concept. And when um, uh, the Blackstone Fortress game came out, we got treated to a load of new models in that, in that set. We got the, um, if you remember, the um, Chaos Imperial Guard, uh, I believe there were beastmen in that box as well. Um, uh, we, we've had the Amble, but we always also had that the, the Guardians of the Blackstone Fortress itself, the Guardian drones and the Spindle drones, the smaller versions of it. Um, oh yeah. And these were like these were like really sleek looking, a little bit elderish looking, but not quite elder. They were quite distinct from the Eldar. Um, sort of insectish looking, quite quite like beetle looking. Um, and they were sort of like the um, inbuilt defences um, of the Blackstone Fortress. Uh, of course, the Blackstone Fortress is old one technology, I believe. So were these servants of the old ones or a creation of the old ones? Oh, they're not really Xenos. They look more robotic, and, but they were obviously created by some kind of Xenos. Um, and we've got two different models for them. We've got the Spindle Drone, which is a small one, and then the Guardian Drone, which was the bigger one. But we've not seen anything else come out about them. Um, and it would be cool to to see that sort of range of models expanded because I thought they look they look really really high tech and sci-fi and very very much more advanced than anything else in the Warhammer 40,000 setting even like Necron technology and Eldar technology which I always class as sort of they're, they're the most advanced races in the galaxy uh, these ones seem to surpass that as well so while you I've been chatting the, the fact checker has been running in the background and in 1996 Citadel Miniatures did release Exodite Dragon Riders. Oh, wow. So there was a, a Stegosaurus with like a pulse gun on the back, like a guy riding a Gallimimus, it looks. There's a Pterodactyl with like a dude on the back. And then the Exodite 
is riding a Tyrannosaurus. Oh, there you go. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. Uh, some really, really, really fun um, choices in there. I really like that top three. Good choice, Matt. Good, good choice. Um, and a few that I didn't see mentioned, including the squats. So I think it's important at this stage to move on to the community top three and see what we may have missed. So we'll be right back. It's is time for the final segment of this week's episode and it is time for the community top three picks so what non-aliens have you folks gone for matt what do we have over on twitter well mouse bait says skaven we know they're there well we do the herod where i believe a jez goodwin design of a sci-fi skaven so we've seen a lot of kind of love from the past so you never know we might see them in the future uh orcs and Felinus Mechanicus catching those nasty critters deep in ship's bowels with enhanced cyber tracking, monofilament fur, be careful petting them, and excellent <laughs> hunting instincts. The many generations removed descendants of the ancient Terran ship cats. Yes, mm. I want one. Uh, another mm. threat says the Catachin Devil, Saruthi, they've always been on my mind since they showed up in the Eisenhorn series, and Ratgol would be an amazing Blackstone Fortress kit. Pete Allison says Shrud, the Millisaur, oh, we need a Millisaur for Necromunda, and the Gyrinx. Uh, Amun Ra says the Catagen Face Eater, it's a flannel. Pure Strange Gene Stealers <laughs> and the Amble. The Rising Ape, uh, Terrellians, basically Space Lizards, Croot, and the Jacaro. Cyber Apes rule Ook. Uh, Mark Dewher says Gene Stealers, Croot, and Orcs. Uh, Spool Farmini just says Croot. Daryl Winter says the Eldari, my favourite race since the Rogue Trader days. The Catachin Devil, rules exist in Rogue Trader and was always fun to throw into scenarios. And Gene Stealer, play Space Hulk and watch Aliens and tell me they're not cool. They're very cool. Sigmus <laughs> Maximus says the Enslavers, the Hood and the Jacaro. And Nevermore says Carnifex, I assume the, the Screamer Killer from back in the day. Urgul and the Amble. So yeah, nice selection of uh, alien races there. Yeah, yeah, I do like the Amble. I like the model that they did for Blackstone Fortress. Um, probably more of a fan of the mechanical one, though, that I will have to add to my all locks at some point in the future. That was always very cool. Um, this leads us back to ask the big question, what is next week's top three? Well, we've got the Norse on the way, so we've got to ask... What's your top three Blood Bowl models? Cool. So you can get your choices in via our social media. We will be putting a post out on the Sunday and Monday before we record. Um, so you can reply to that and let us know your thoughts. And we'll try and read as many as we can out on next week's show, uh, um, which is already shaping up to be a good one because we've got that top three that we've just mentioned. Uh, and also we should be talking about some Tyranids as well. So, um, yeah, should be a, a good show next week, guys. Uh, but until then, have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews.